Well, there's the bell. That's our starting gun for class Sunday morning. Thank you all for being here for class this morning. Hope you had a great weekend. Uh, anybody get out to the fair yet this week? We were out yesterday um, during the wind and rain blowing sideways. Yeah, the weather was not fair. Yeah, and you can't buy anything at a fair price at the fair. You know how that is. Okay, there's all the fair there's jokes the for the day. Jokes. Yeah. <laughs> Dad jokes here today. No, thank you for being here for our, uh, class here on Sunday morning. Good to, good to see you too, and hope that your summer's going well. Uh, for those of you that are joining us maybe for the first time uh, in this series, we're going through a series in the book of John. So take a Bible, uh, your own Bible, and turn to the fourth of those first four books in your New Testament. So you'll, get, you'll hit Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospel of John. And we've been going through this text this summer. And the main point of this whole class is that you pick up that gospel on your own, at home, as Jesus told us, close the door, and read this book in secret, and God who sees what is read in secret will reward you. That's not what Jesus said, but it's sort of like that, uh, where (laughs) the whole point of this study is to do a tour of the book of John, which is going to be inviting you to go back into John and go see all those places that we've talked about as we go through the gospel. There is no way in a class like this that we can really do justice to uh, what John is written to do in you. Uh, It was not written to study in a Bible class. It was written for you to read from start to finish uh, on your own. And you've gotten to see how Tim and I uh, get to, in front of you, maybe show off a little bit of what we get to do on our own, uh, either in our homes or at a coffee shop or sometimes on the phone just going over, hey, guess what I saw this week, and get to share that with each other, and hopefully you'll experience some of that joy. Uh, For those of you who have read through John, we'd like to begin class by just sharing any reflections. Did anybody read through John again this week, or in your reflections on John, has anything stood out to you? Uh, that you'd be willing to share with, with everyone this week. What has stood out? Liz is already smiling. <laughs> Liz, yes. <laughs> it's so fascinating. Um, I think you guys were doing it in this manner. I've never studied one book this long before ever in my life. You understand that? And it seemed to me every time I read something different hits me that I thought I should have picked up at first, but it's just amazing. So, um, one of the things that I picked up this week was in John 14. Um, remember when um, Judas Iscariot asked Jesus when he said he was leaving, he asked him why was he not coming back with the world for them. So it was really, really clear to me that even though Jesus came to save the world, he focused on his own, those that believed in him and that, those that followed him. So that was really clear, not necessarily the whole world, but the one that believed in him and followed him. So that was and then the other point was um, when um, we would talk about, he made it very clear for those that um, if you sincerely follow him and ask anything you ask and give to you, but if you sincerely seek him and follow him, then you'll know the things to ask for and he will grant them. Wow, absolutely. Yes, thank you, Liz. Liz shares that she's been reading through, and every time she reads through, she sees something new, and that'll be the experience that every single one of you have. But thank you, Liz. The two things that Liz shared were from John 14, uh, where, first of all, she recognized that Jesus uh, came for his own, that even though he's saving the whole world, he's really hyper-focused on those in whom he is doing a work. And then the second thing is that recognition that Jesus said there, uh, that if you ask anything in my name, 
it will be done for you, which we might even get to today, because <laughs> uh, that means Jesus is not done with his work, and and part of his great work is going to be done through you. I'm going to get off on a sermon just oh, from yeah. that. Thanks, Liz. <laughs> well, and just to your first point about as you read through it and you read through it again and you notice different things, that is consistently a statement made in every commentary, every sermon, everything you ever hear about John, they'll all say that exact same thing. You're meant to read through it over and over again and different things pop out as you read through it. So it's, that's, it's really fun to do that. You notice different stuff. Yeah. Thanks, Liz. Who else? Mother. <laughs> well, I'm going back to the man board line. It's the one instance, well, it's not the only instance, but the man didn't ask to be healed, and he didn't express his faith until way after it was over. And that's kind of not like Jesus. <clears throat> so the man born blind, he doesn't ask to be healed. But then it wasn't until at the end of the of the narrative section that he actually then recognizes and has faith in the Lord, um, which yeah, it's 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 somewhat different than other patterns you see uh, where people tend to have that faith first and it's or they say, do you want to be healed? And they say yes. But yeah, he stands out as a as a different story for sure. Yeah, thank you. And that's a great example of how in many of these events you're intended to see yourself being there. What if I am like that man who was blind? Others. Well, as you read through John, you are meant to get to this passage that we read every week here in John chapter 20, which is the theme passage. And let me just read this out loud, because what we've done each week is go to the point. And John, at the end of the book, gives you the point of the whole book. And then what we find in this two verses is a synopsis of the whole book, and every single theme that John uh, hits on is found in these two verses. So let's read this. Now, Jesus did many other signs. By the way, this is John 20, verse 30. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And so our theme this week is to focus on the word from the first verse there, the word signs. Uh, Jesus did many other signs. Now, when I think of signs in Scripture, I think of those amazing things, and we may talk about some of these, those amazing things that Jesus did. And so, you know, it could be uh, things that fit into the category of miracles or, you know, wonders, big deals. But what did, in the first century, what, what words did they use to describe these things that Jesus did that were so amazing? You get a quick little synopsis uh, in Acts two twenty two uh, when Peter's given the sermon, uh, you know, to the first converts you have there on the day of Pentecost, and he uses three different words uh, that I think we would use to define this category of signs, and I cannot say them as well to save my life. Um, but you come across this, you come across three. So the first one talks about like mighty works, um, sort of this like military power sort of vibe. You come across. Uh, other ones which talk about like wonder or marvel or things that kind of make you go ah uh, and then you come across this other one uh, semios which I can say that one uh, which talks about signs like something you look at that points to something else uh, kind of like a mile marker and, and and it hit on all three of those and they and they refer all three back to Jesus Jesus did all these things um, but notably when you get to John then 
you only really see one of them ever used of these three words. No, that's right. I'll let you pick up your notes so yeah. that you can <laughs> grab those. But that's true, that in John, as you read through, and we went through and said, okay, where are all these words used in John? And, and John doesn't use them at all. Instead, the only one of those three that's used is the word signs, although wonders is used one time. Just negatively. Yeah, negatively. He doesn't like that word. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Jesus uses that word. Jesus says, yeah, unless you see a wonder or sign, you won't believe anything, will you? And that's the only time the word wonders used. But most of the time in John, we see this word, uh, this word signs. And we may get to this. The other word that stood out to me last, last night, I mean, as I was thinking through this, is this word works. You'll see that show up a lot throughout John. And so there's something about what Jesus did that John describes, and the best word he has to describe what Jesus is doing is this word sign. So the question really for today is, what does that mean? What is a, what is a sign? So when you think of the word sign in general, used in English, think about what comes to mind. What is a, what is a sign? So it could be instructions or directions. Yeah, when we were driving to the ferry yesterday, we passed a sign. It said Palmer, 13 miles ahead. That was a signpost. That was, and that's exactly how it's used in Greek, by the way, is it's a signpost. Yeah. Can you think of other ways we use the word sign? Hey, okay, I signed a piece of paper. Yeah. How does that connect? It's signed, signature. Yeah, it's a symbol of something much bigger. And it represents, boy, that's powerful. Yeah, that's a good one. We didn't think of that one. No, because that's like a message. Yeah, it, because it's just ink on a page, but it doesn't represent some squiggly marks. It represents you. It's your, it's your wow. person backing up what this says. It's a great sign. Do you realize what you can do in this world with your signature? That is so yeah, powerful. You can get into a lot of debt with that. You can get <laughs> yeah, That's right. Yes. It can mean something much greater. So you say scroll and crossbones. Yeah. It doesn't mean scroll and crossbones. It means danger, poison, you could not take them. It can mean a much bigger, broader application. Good. Yeah. So skull, crossbones doesn't just mean, hey. Fire. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> could mean, yeah, fires. Could mean something dangerous or poison. And then you and I, I mean, as physicians, we use the term. Signs all the time. What are the signs of this illness? What are the vital signs? In fact, can I introduce somebody? Uh, we have guests with us this summer. Jerry and Diane Myhan are with us this summer. And uh, for the week, this is their first trip to Alaska. And I hope you'll get to meet each of them uh, later. But uh, Jerry and Diane introduced me to medicine and uh, took us, when I was in college 30 years ago, took us to Haiti. And so my whole introduction to the medical world was through uh, Jerry and Diane Myhan, and they're here today. But Jerry is the one who taught me how to take a blood pressure. Vital signs. How to take, yeah, <laughs> a pulse, how to take vital signs. And if you think about what is a vital sign when you go to the doctor, they're checking for, they don't, I mean, they care what your blood pressure is, but what they're really checking is, or, or asking is, what are the underlying signs of either life or illness going on? So this sign points to something, yeah, much bigger than itself. Danny had one. Yeah, Danny. Sign language. Sign language. Oh, that's Ooh. a good one. Yeah, hey, we didn't think of that one either. No, but it's, it's spot on in line with the way John uses. Yeah. It's all representative of something else yeah. to interpret, to give information. Yeah. That's really good. So the, yes, Bob. When we go out to camp, I can see signs of bear. Oh, so at camp you see signs of bear having been. evidence. Evidence. And so the word sign is evidence of something much larger than just that pile of scat <laughs> that is there. 
Yeah, it's a sign that something else has been... Oh, that's another good one. It's a sign that something much bigger than me has been here and may come back. Okay, that's almost exactly how John uses this word sign. Well, you get the point. Is the word sign is something that you can see. It's objective. It's in front of you. But it's representing something much bigger than the thing itself. And that's what's true of every single one of the signs that you see uh, in John. You're going to see Jesus do something. He'll do things that are amazing, these incredible works. But you're not meant to be hyper-focused on that sign. What you're meant to see is that this is a symbol, this is a, a message of something much bigger, you know, going on. So let's think about some of those signs. What are some of the signs that show up in John? Well, there's some prevailing signs. Um, some of them are going to stick out way more than others. Uh, and and it's, it's debated, actually. Uh, what are the signs in John? Uh, there's lots of different opinions, which you wouldn't think of that through the first read, but then you start going through them, and some of them stand out differently than others. Um, but some of the more common ones that everyone tends to get behind are like the water to wine, uh, healing the nobleman's son, uh, healing the lame man who couldn't walk, uh, feeding the 5,000 in the bread. You have healing the blind man, and you also have raising Lazarus from the dead. Those ones, everyone seems to get behind just fine. Uh, but then you have some other ones that are a little more contentious. Not everyone agrees that they're necessarily signs. Um, when he clears the temple in chapter 2, when he walks on the water. Um, what were some of the other ones? Uh, speaking to the woman at the well. Yeah. And yeah, breaking cultural norms. Mm-hmm. Um, things which... And, and it's, it's, it's easy to say, oh, the signs must be something miraculous and powerful. But yeah, when you talk about the Samaritan woman talking to her, that was just as powerful in the day. Um, we went over that a few weeks ago about when we were talking about women and, and John. But it's just as meaningful and as significant as feeding the 5,000, you know, as walking on the water. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then and but then when you look at it from that aspect, you just see them like you mentioned before. You see them all over the page. I mean, every story, every page has just covered in signs. Yeah. So if you if you tend to think of a sign as just a magic trick or a work of wonder, then you you almost confine yourself at reading whether it's John or any of the Gospels. It's almost like you lock yourself in to a belief about miracles that is super narrow. But what we caught in reading through John, and hopefully you catch this too, is that the whole event of this thing called the incarnation where God becomes flesh and all the things that he's doing, this whole thing is one big sign. And then it's full of these these, uh, other signs. I'm getting ahead of myself there, but it's full of all these other signs. But as you think through the things, those of you who have read through John... uh, you know, you hear these big signs that everybody can point to. These are the amazing things that Jesus did. Can you think of some things that they all seem to share in common? It's as if he was trying to make a specific point to those people around him. Uh, ah. You know, uh, anytime these things would go on, you know, more and more people would hear about it and it would just kind of proliferate from them. Oh, that's a great yeah, metaphor. So it's kind of like the miracle, the sign, the work is dropped like a pebble in the water, and you see this ripple effect that it has on people. Yeah, that's really good, too. Was there a particular one of the signs that popped into your head when you thought that? One of the things that I was thinking of was uh, he, they asked him who he was, and he said, 
in I am, right? And they picked up stones to stone him. And and then he kind of melted into the crowd. And the crowd was like, hey, what? So good. So your mind went to the sign that was him. I am, and they recognize that. Yes. So, so all of them pointed at who Jesus was, but even more so, he was the Messiah. But even more so, and as the Messiah, he was greater than the law, and even more so, and we missed him the law. I mean, it kind of was this because building on the Sabbath, he pointed to his power to heal. Yeah. And he also pointed to you missed represented with the Sabbath, and that I'm greater than the Sabbath anyway. Yeah, yeah, that's powerful. Stephen shares that it's the the act itself points to maybe a first point. This is who Jesus is. It then points to wait a minute. He's bigger than our understanding of the law. To whoa, he wrote the whole thing in the first place. Yeah, that's great. Uh, can you think of other things that these signs seem to share in common? I think maybe one that's less obvious um, is that they all were used to point to what Jesus was saying. Um, you know, he talks a lot about, at least twice that I can recall, where he says, hey, if you don't believe me, believe, you know, a.k.a. what I'm saying to you, then believe at least what you're seeing happen. You know, recognize the works um, and the signs that's going on before you to acknowledge that what I'm telling you is true, and here's the proof of why it's true. Yeah. And then... And then <laughs> It, uh, I heard one of the commentaries I was reading. I guess I've always taken that understanding to mean that Jesus performed these things to, as evidence of, of, of authenticating who he is. So his actions were authenticating uh, the person saying them. But one of the commentators I read, and they were talking uh, full throughout the scriptures, not just Jesus, but that the, the signs that were done, whether it's Old Testament or New, uh, were meant to authenticate the message not necessarily the one giving the message. And then so when you take that and you overlay it onto Jesus, at first you feel like there's a contradiction. Like, oh, well, no, Jesus came to authenticate himself, but he did that through his message, through what he said. I came to show you um, what the Father told me, and I'm doing all of that. And if you don't believe who I am, believe in the sign. Um, and that, that helped me a lot uh, get a better grasp, especially um, not just on, in John, but through the entirety of Scripture, that that these evidences and the works of the Spirit are showing you the significance of what's being said. Put your weight in what's being said, and then you know that this man or this person is from God because of what they can do. Yeah, thank you. And I, you know, that's probably a good time for us just to jump in and say, let's look at an example and read here in John chapter 6. But one of the things I want you to pay attention to as we read through this event in John 6 is how the message that's being given is paired next to this sign that's being done. And you're going to see examples of this all throughout John, but this is a good one. But watch how the two are paired closer and closer together to the point where you can't separate the message from the sign that's being done. But one of the things you'll notice in John is John will often take something that is said that is totally unbelievable. Jesus will say, and you'll see, like in this passage, he'll say something that is an I am statement. 
And you'll go, how could that be true? But then he'll pair it right next to something that's undeniable. Jesus just did something in front of people that they can't deny. And let's see what the effect is. So John chapter 6. And this will be one of those extended readings of Scripture. And do not do the American Western mental thing of checking out until the end of the reading. This is time for you to actively be thinking and reading and let the story uh, that's being told fill your imagination. So after this... Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Those of you that have read up to this point know that there were only two that were told about up to this point. But you get the idea. There's a whole book of these (laughs) that have happened. So they had seen these signs. Verse 3, Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. There's a deep statement there, but it tells you what time of the year. They're sitting on the mountain, probably springtime. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. So Philip said, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each one to even get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, you remember Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's this boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. (laughs) What are they for so many? And Jesus said, "Eh, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. So you catch the math problem. Start with five, end up with twelve basketfuls. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea had become rough because of a strong wind that was blowing When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, I am. Do not be afraid. I know it says is it I, but you got to know what he really said there. I am. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at land to which they were going. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. 
Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do, that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate man in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How, do we, how does he now say, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate man in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard this, they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to this? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. 
but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who of those who uh, did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless he is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he was one of the twelve who was going to betray him. Well, that's that's chapter 6. It's a bit of an extended reading, but the reason we do that entire reading is to show you in context the way John uses this idea of a sign paired with the message. So as you hear that being read and reflect on that, what, what stands out to you? And let's take just the, the last few minutes that we have of class to talk about what is it that we learn from this passage about Jesus, about people, but more importantly about the way uh, signs are used in John. What stood out to you? He's trying to get the people not to focus on what is the physical thing, what's the time to focus on the spiritual aspect of what he's doing, why the signs. So he keeps saying, it's not from me, it's not from what you see, it's from the spirit of yeah, so it's a focus not just on the physical sign, but the spiritual message behind this. These words I'm giving you are spirit and they are life. Yeah, good. Yes, Dan. Uh, we, we know that some of our denominational friends practice and believe in transubstantiation. Well, they don't practice it, uh, which is not what Scripture teaches. And here is one of the passages that are uh, uh, widely used to, to justify that. But when you see where Jesus said the words that I speak are spirit, uh, that helps you to understand that he didn't mean literally that when we partake of the bread that it's a sign or a symbol, uh, sometimes we call it a token, it represents his flesh uh, and doesn't actually become his flesh when we eat it. Good. So Daniel reminds us that there is a a risk, really, in becoming hyper-focused on the object or the thing, and you can lose sight of the fact of the much bigger. Sometimes we'll use the term spiritual, and I don't mean to water that. Sometimes we use that in modern sense, that waters it down. But spiritual meaning, this is much bigger than just physical. This applies to all of existence. Uh, Good. What stood out to you? Well, the thing that struck me the most is that this has happened before. Uh, This has happened before. Yeah. Yeah. If you're familiar with the prophets and what they've done, uh, bread has been multiplied before. Hmm. And and it just makes you, for those who aren't aware, um, if you go to uh, 2 Kings 4, uh, you'll find a story about Elisha uh, who does this exact same thing. Uh, Much smaller scale, mind you. Uh, We're told it was 20 loaves of bread, which seems like a lot, um, but it was fed for 100 men. Um, and they had leftovers afterwards and uses very similar phrases that you find in John used in that story. Um, and, and so at least to me, it makes you think that, um, well, what did Jesus do that was so so different than what they'd already known? Because uh, if you're familiar also with the prophets, you know that people have been raised from the dead before. 
Um, it's happened at least twice that I could recall. Um, when a man falls on the bones of Elijah, he comes back to life. Um, Elisha raises the widow's son from the dead. So, this, so people raising from the dead wasn't new. They had it in their history. And so, but there was something about when those men did it, they didn't proclaim to be the son of God. They didn't proclaim to be Yahweh in the flesh. When Jesus does it, that's exactly what he's saying. Um, and, and again, that's what helped me um, wrap my mind around. It's not the messenger, it's the message. Listen to what's being said. And so as a first century Jew, you know, I would think you, you see these things happening, and I think you're supposed to then call back to, what's your history? What do you know about? This is significant. And then, at least for me, you always feel bad for the Pharisees and the Sadducees a little bit, because you're like, man, these guys are idiots. Why do they not understand? Um, but then there's a direct quote from Deuteronomy that talks about if you see people come and you do signs and wonders, and if they come true, don't believe in them. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, it's a powerful thought that this has, the things that Jesus is doing in John have been done before, including the f- multiplying of bread. And they, they bring it out in the story. Did you catch that? Where people recognize, hey, this has been done before. You know, Moses gave us bread, but you know, he didn't just do it one time, Jesus. So what are you going to show us? You yeah, know, you so they, they reach back, they realize this has been done before. And Jesus' point is, there's something different this time. And did you catch that? So God did provide bread for people in the wilderness before. What's different now? They still died. Yeah. Yeah, Jesus said, <laughs> Jesus, I'm going to change things, Stephen says. Yeah. Uh, and there's one, other, there's one other thing to catch here. And this is the beautiful thing that will just jump out in John. There's something different being done here. Liz is. A couple of things I think about. Gentleness of Christ. He doesn't seem to rush in. And then the other thing is this word will. The word what? Will. Will. He said God's will. And he refers to us as that if you eat the bread, you will forever. And who is Christ? So Jesus uses this term will just like God, Liz, brings out. Um, think through this part of, of the conversation where they say, hey, Moses gave us bread forever. And, and Jesus answers their question and says, it wasn't Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. It was, it was my father. And then he says, I am the bread of life. You hear the difference. In every single one of those examples in the Old Testament, it wasn't Elijah who rose the people from the dead. It wasn't uh, them who multiplied the bread. All of those things were God doing something, but through someone. It was a sign that God had showed up. And Jesus here is making a claim that they got. And eventually, as we said, they pick up stones to stone him because they get what he's saying. He's saying, I'm the one who has done all that, and I'm here to do it again. And you're meant to catch that, uh, you know, in John. Does that part make sense? You are getting to see God do something here that he's been doing all along. The best example of that I have is that Jesus shows up. They don't have enough to feed everybody. They have five loaves, two fish, at least in the mind of uh, Philip and Andrew, probably Simon Peter, if he was part of the conversation. They all said, you know, that's not going to feed anybody for, you know, even one meal, much less. We need eight months' worth of wages just to feed this crowd of people. And then Jesus says, well, bring that to me. 
You feed them. It's a test, we're told, of those people. And the test was, do you recognize who even made those five loaves and those two fishes that are there? Has God done this before? Yeah, what are you thinking? I'm having trouble through the whole thing here because you're talking about signs. The Jewish history, all the way from the beginning, they were told to look and be prepared for signs for the coming of Jesus. So Jesus finally comes. So in today's age, right now, if it said that there would be Monday on a Tuesday, you're going to hear three horn blasts, the sky will turn whatever color across the globe, and then 12 hours from then, we'll all be going to heaven. So we should be excited when we hear the horns come. They had signs. They're saying, wasn't this Jesus from who we know, Joseph and Mary? Well, they had signs of who Jesus was going to be, be born of a virgin. I have to believe they knew that. They know Joseph and Mary. Then they knew about Mary, knew they had not been, they were married but not married. So she would have been kind of almost the scandal of the town. They would have known all these different signs. He is proving all the things that were going to come from the Messiah that he's doing, has done, continues to do. And yet, they're disputing every last thing he does as a, well, that's no big deal. Anyone shows a firework, that's great. Do it again. As opposed to, you're doing it, and that means we now have a chance. They don't care about the chance. It's not, that's what I'm hearing. It's like, okay, and yeah. they, they never, the signs are all there. He said what he said. He's done what he's done. It's fulfilled so much, and they don't care. Yeah. The Sanhedrin and all that, they didn't want to lose their power. But what did the Jews, why did the Jews not care? Yeah. That's the confusion to me. So Russ, yeah, thank you. Russ articulates well this confusion. is that All the signs are there. But they didn't get it. Can I summarize that maybe with a quick statement and just say, apparently, when it comes to the signs Jesus is doing, seeing is not believing. Um, and that, that was actually very well, very well said. Notice here when Jesus comes on the scene, and with this particular event that we just read, he takes five loaves and two fish, and then he multiplies that for all of these others. Notice what you did not hear. You did not hear, and that was a good illustration, you did not hear a story about how there were three trumpet blasts and then Jesus uh, um, uh, mounted on top of this winged horse Pegasus and you know, flew to the top of Mount Olympus and grabbed the bread and brought down the eternal bread and served it. That's the way a Greek mythology story would have been told. Instead, it's almost like he just passes this over in one verse. Yeah, Jesus took the bread and he divided it and he fed everybody. But imagine what had to happen in that one verse is the hands of Jesus had to take into his hand barley and divide it and then do what those of you who are bakers do in your kitchen. You take the barley, you grind it, mix it, you add a little water, there's got to be some yeast, there's got to be some thyme, a little salt if you want it to taste good, let it rise, put it in the oven, and then you get that great smell of fresh barley loaves. You know, uh, If you wanted to make fish, all of you who go fish, you uh, go out to the river and you catch a fish. But you realize if that one fish is allowed to go ahead, you know, past, if you have two fish, all you need is two. If you have two fish, you can make hundreds of more fish. And that's how God has fed the world, really, from the beginning, is taking barley and making more barley. He has fed the world by taking fish and from two fish making more fish. He's done that from day three and day five, the first day of creation. Imagine what would happen, though, if, uh, if someone walked into your kitchen today 
and without reference to any recipe, if they just walked into your kitchen and went up to the cabinet and grabbed some bowls, and they grabbed some flour out of the cabinet and threw that all in the bowl and added some water and threw in some yeast and mixed it up and a little bit of salt and kneaded it, let it rise, threw it in the oven, and a few hours later you have that great smell of fresh bread in your house. Imagine if somebody just walked into your kitchen and did that without reference to a recipe. There are two things you can be for sure. One, this person already knows the recipe. And the second thing you can know for sure, this person's probably done it before. That's exactly what you're meant to catch when you read through this in John, is that someone comes on the scene who seems to know the recipe. And you get the idea, and they recognize this, he's already done this before, which is why they say, oh, this is the prophet who's to come. Totally misunderstood exactly what he was up to. And then Jesus has to slip away, you know, in the crowd. But then do you recognize how that turns then into this conversation about who is he really? And then as Russ says, some of them got it. Some of them didn't. Many of them didn't. Oh. Yeah. Well, there's emphasis put in John 2 about um, he doesn't necessarily want you to believe because of the signs. Don't just trust in the signs, but believe in what's being told you. And there's this subtle implication that it's better to believe because of what you heard than because of the signs. Um, They're only as an evidence. And clearly, you know, none of us saw them. None of us were there. We're believing based on the words of someone else who was. Um, So heed the words. That's where the weights come from. Um, And so we're going to run out of time. We are, and probably need to just (laughs) close with this thought, is what we tried to demonstrate here is something that you're going to see in every single one of the signs in John. So when you go back and read from the start of John all the way to the end, you're going to see these two things paired together. Jesus will say something that is just totally unbelievable, and then he'll do something that you just can't deny. And it causes this tension. Some will get it, some won't. And then you, as the person who's reading this, are being invited to read and see these very same signs that they saw, and then you get to decide. John says these are written so that you could come to believe. You're being invited in, and that by believing, you would have life uh, in his name. And here's what the main thing to catch in these signs when you run across them is that each of the signs are a demonstration, not only of God's power, but catch this, of his presence, of God's presence, the presence of Yahweh doing among us what he has been doing all along without our notice from the beginning. And then you get to the end of John and you realize we're being invited in to being a part of God's great work in the whole world. Which is kind of, this is a terrible place to end. We ask the question, does God still do miracles today? That's a good one to drop right at the end of class. And we said, you you know the better question at the end of John? Is to ask, does God still show signs today? And the answer to that is? Yes. Absolutely. And do you realize you are one of those signs? That God, through you, is making you right again, and then through you, making the world right again. And we're told in Acts, the whole world sees what the church, those of us who are being made right, what the church does is a sign to the whole world of God doing what he did in the beginning and has been doing from creation.
well, and briefly, that, that story in Acts chapter 4, what you'll see is um, several of them were just told to stop talking about Jesus. The Jewish leaders told them, shut up, don't say it anymore. They beat them, and they let them go. Um, and as you may know that story, they go away rejoicing, uh, grateful that they were able uh, to suffer for the cause of Christ. But then you, they're told about this prayer that they say in verse 29, and they specifically say, um, you know, Lord, let their threats, in, or sorry, they say, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They were praying for these things to continue, to keep happening, to keep bringing revelation to people. And then in the very following verses, you get a quick glimpse of what that sign looks like. And you're told that they sold all their possessions. They shared freely with one another. They were united under this unity of love. And it's a beautiful image of a, of a world in which we all want to live in. It's, it's Eden restored. It's, it's, you know, the reunification of God's ideal coming to earth. Um, and it stands in direct contrast to the world in which we live. And that way of living, the ideal Christian way of living, is a sign to the world there's a better way to do this. <laughs> There's better options out there. You don't have to go the way of the world. Go the way of Jesus, and you will not regret it. Um, and that, I just, that was a, I hadn't, I hadn't, that had, story hadn't dawned on me before, that they were praying for these signs to continue, and then they were living out these signs. Uh, and it's a beautiful message. Well, we read about one of the signs. Let's end with John's purpose for his whole book. Now, Jesus did many other signs, most of which are not written in, the, uh, in this book. Uh, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Let's prepare now to worship him uh, as we go about. Thank you.